This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, February 10th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. The conspiracy theories that infected the 2016 presidential election were often shocking, often quickly shown to be false, but one thing they were not, unprecedented. Anthony Comegna is editor of a new volume from Libertarianism.org, Lives of the Necromancers by William Godwin. Godwin shows how the wealthy, powerful, and educated few exploited the people's credulity to satisfy their own will to power. In the 2016 election, and we should probably back up a little bit before the 2016 election and go back to when Donald Trump was touring the country, uh, making sort of uh, making claims about where Barack Obama was born and and talking about, well, he was born in Kenya. We don't know a lot of things. We need to investigate this very fully, um, asking for long-form birth certificates. And my view in light of his presidential campaign and in light of him actually getting elected president, I viewed that as a test that that pitch of the birtherism, I viewed that as sort of a test. I was like, what can I get these people to believe? Mm -hmm. And to the extent that if, if, I, if, the, if I am correct about that, it's not unprecedented in, by any stretch. No, it's a very common thing. Um, and I think this goes back into the myths of history, if you will, to, to quote Hillary Clinton um, about the foundation uh, of traditional marriage. Well, um, politicians' ability to exploit people's thinking uh, goes back into the myths of history. So in the book that you've edited, Lives of the Necromancers, uh, William Godwin, who was William Godwin and, and uh, what was the essential, essential thing that he was trying to get across to people? Godwin was a British radical. He lived from 1756 to 1836, and uh, he's recognized now as the first modern anarchist, the first proper utilitarian. Uh, he's a founding father both to modern socialists and modern libertarians. Uh, he's an immensely interesting figure. Uh, there's a recent biography by Peter Marshall about Godwin that I recommend to everybody. He's an amazing, interesting figure. And he wrote very, very many great books, among which was Lives of the, Necro Lives of the Necromancers, uh, his last book, and as Edgar Allan Poe said, one of his best. Um, and in Lives of the Necromancers, Godwin uh, basically treats occultism in encyclopedic fashion, topic by topic. Um, and also chronologically. Uh, so he goes back from ancient Greece and earlier all the way up to his present day um, and the witch trials in early modern European history. And his purpose is to show that when there are mystical beliefs of one kind or another among the population, there are always going to be people of ill intent, of uh, selfish proclivities who want to use and exploit that thinking uh, to aggrandize power and money and influence for themselves. And of course, that's he thought, oh, what a great thing. By his time, the witches were gone from the world and people didn't believe in that sort of thing anymore. It had lost a lot of its political power too and politicians couldn't scapegoat witches anymore, for example, like King James did. But uh, as all of us today know, that's a, that's a bit of a fuzzy, uh, happy thought that is not really true. Not, not true at all. Yeah, not at all. We, we have our modern necromancers still with us. Okay, so how did that play out 
in his time, when he was dealing with uh, or writing about these cases, what were the cases that he talked about? Uh, so he goes, he goes back to ancient Greece, uh, ancient Rome. He talks about the first kings of Rome that went into caves and supposedly talked to the gods, and then they came out of the caves with the law code that they would give to the people. That sounds, uh, that sounds familiar. And directly from the gods, right? Um, and then, of course, they, you know, there are uh, later kings that have less contact with the gods. It's, it's not as strong a connection, uh, and they try to invoke the gods in their own magical practices at home. And one of them burns his house to the ground and dies, you know. Um, but people are reaching to be able to use uh, spiritual beliefs, mystical beliefs to exploit uh, people all across time and really everywhere in space. Although Godwin's focus is on the Western world and Western history. Uh, so he dwells a lot on medieval Europe, um, a world where angels and demons were everywhere and spiritual forces controlled everything in your life. Uh, that's what people thought, and that's how they acted. And so uh, you would say that his error was believing that uh, witches were a, a particularized thing, that once we've killed the, the, the notion that there are the, this kind of bewitching, mm -hmm. that we've dealt with that kind of problem eternally. Uh, to some degree, I think Godwin thinks that, yes. He thinks that there is sort of a substrate of education and uh, learning in the world that is near impossible to erode once it's built and that we're always building on that substrate of learning so to he, something better and better. Uh, and he has a bit of a sunny picture in mind in that he doesn't think so much regression is possible. Um, but yet he's careful to point out that for thousands of years, this kind of thinking and exploitation of thinking uh, dominated political systems around the globe. Um, and that it's really a drive within each of us as individuals uh, toward greater and greater power. Uh, over each other and over the world around us. We are constantly seeking more and more power. But that's in conflict with our equally strong drive to have greater and greater liberty. Uh, because if we're all seeking that um, greater power, we're going to c conflict with people who are seeking greater liberty. Um, and that has led to a great deal of the change that we call history over time. But Godwin recognizes that that proclivity, the, the will to power is within each one of us as individuals. And he points out uh, the case of Simon Magus, which is mentioned in the Bible, that he's, he sees the apostles of Christ raising people from the dead and performing kinds of miracles. Um, and he wants a piece of that Holy Ghost. So he goes to them and he offers them money to learn what, whatever skills that they have that allows them to do this. And they say, you know, well, you can't buy this with money. And he's like, well, what the, what the, what's the point then? What are you doing? Uh, this is about power and gaining the ability to manipulate the world toward your purposes and your ends. Um, and, you know, Godwin did have a bit of the Christian mindset in him uh, in that he thought part of our purpose as individuals is to overcome that will to power and to give it up and to, you know, uh, do things in the interests of society rather than ourselves, too. A lot of this reminds me of uh, Jesse Walker uh, wrote a book called The United States of Paranoia, a conspiracy theory. And he's just talking about all of the various conspiracies that are both unpopular, like fringe ideas and conspiracies that are believed by a broad majority of the public that are that are nonetheless not true. Mm -hmm. Where do we see um, 
the attempts today of trying to revive uh, the dead, uh, which, I mean, we, you and I were talking about Ray Kurzweil mm -hmm. before we started recording. He's somebody who's done that. And... It's, well, not raise the dead. <laughs> well, he's, he's working he's, on it. He's right? working. He's working on it. Absolutely, <laughs> he's trying to take uh, stat volumes of of papers and information about his father and uh, feed them to something and produce sort of a facsimile of this human being who was his dad. Mm -hmm. But in in politics, how does that express itself? Hmm. Well, um, you know. <laughs> the the drive to immortality, I'm not sure, expresses itself so much in our normal politics, um, although you can certainly see it in the upper echelons of power, right? That is what people end up seeking. They want to be enshrined in stone in some great monument in the nation's capital. They want to be written into books and they fantasize about it. Um, and, you know, Ted, think of that video we saw of Ted Cruz as an 18-year-old. What, what's next? I don't know. Conquer the world? That's uh, my aspirations, right? Um, but people who have acquired some temporary power here on earth <laughs> want their existence to reverberate in a way that your and my existence will not. Yeah, you know, so I think, I think that the, the fact that politicians do exhibit that level of delusional urge to power, right? You, that you can be so powerful that you extend yourself, your life, your memory forward into the ages past the normal human lifespan, that you can have an effect on the world that continues shaping it and shaping society long after you're dead. Uh, the fact that people seek that kind of power puts them at odds with most normal human behavior, right? which is just aiming to get by, to get through the day, and to live comfortably and peacefully. That's what most normal people experience in their daily will, right? Uh, the will to make a sandwich and to read your kid a story before bed. But politicians usually operate on a much crazier level of, of uh, self-aggrandizement and search for power. Um, and oftentimes... I think this gets reflected in the kind of conspiracy theory that we see from people like Alex Jones or that we hear on Coast to Coast AM or some of the, the fringier elements of American culture. Um, we see you know, people coming up with these fantastical stories about why it is that these otherwise normal human beings can want something so bizarre uh, and something so potentially destructive and damaging to your morality, your soul, perhaps. Um, and so they invent these very wild, far out there theories that could explain such an abnormal, almost sociopathic urge among the leadership in society. Right? And some of those ideas are uh, the conspiracy ideas. Some of them, of course, turn out to be true uh, <laughs> after a few years or, or many years. Uh, but uh, some of them seem to be tools in order for you to provide something that uh, will – for them to provide you whatever they're selling, which is protection or a destruction of elites or a revelation of what these people, whoever they are, are actually trying to do to you. Yeah, Godwin uh, treats this – 
subject in an interesting way. His discussion is kind of divided uh, between people who are you know, these necromancers and alchemists and philosophers who are really tinkerers and scientists and they're working in their homes trying to come up with a philosopher's stone or a way to transmute metals or whatever. Uh, but they're basically working in their homes where they're working at a royal court and they're taking a small stipend or something, living a fairly hand-to-mouth existence. Uh, and then there are the people at the very upper echelons who, you know, use popular folk beliefs as means to uh, to – uh, crack down their their rule and institute a single legal code, for example, or something like that. Um, and you know, there's a big division between these these tinkerers who want to uh, create something um, that is akin to technological progress, and to those who simply want to exploit wrong ideas. Um, the the one the the politician is is certainly the more evil of the two rather than the technologist. Uh, the technologist is just trying to satisfy human wants, and they they don't have science yet to know the best way to do that. Uh, so they're trying magic, um, which is a science of its own, sort of alchemy. Um, yeah, it's science before there's much of a method attached to it. Right. Um, so. You know, it just—it's not a coincidence that the the people who invented modern science were also uh, some of the the later magicians and alchemists uh, and occultists. They are s- similarly using propositional knowledge to build upon uh, ideas over generations. Now, Godwin mentions this Middle Eastern tale of a miracle tub of water, and somebody puts his head in the tub of water, and he's immediately transported to this new world. It's sort of like. Uh, that Star Trek episode, Time's Arrow, where Picard is like, I don't know, zapped by a satellite or something and he gets transferred into this world and he lives a whole lifetime there. Um, and he experience, you know, he has a family and he has neighbors and he loves people and he lives an entire lifetime on this planet and he learns their culture and their society and he becomes a part of it. And then like that, he wakes up back on the Enterprise and like no time had passed at all. And it was a way for this alien species to just record their existence and pass it on to other other societies and be remembered. Well, this miracle tub of water is the same sort of thing, and the guy wakes up seconds later after dunking his head in it, and he had just lived a lifetime. And Godwin tells you this kind of story to get across the point that people are always trying to improve their conditions in the world. The real question is, what do you do with the knowledge that you have? Do you actually turn it to benefit other people? Or do you monopolize it? Do you hoard that knowledge to yourself and become one of these evil necromancers who would violate graves and violate, you know, all these standards of ethics just to invoke demons for your own benefit, you know? Um, so, you know, in our, in our modern day, um, perhaps somebody like Ray Kurzweil really does have the best interests of, of humanity at heart uh, when he's, he's trying to make all of us potentially digital beings. And, and that whatever machine life uh, begins to grow on its own, that there is a significant portion of humanity in that. Oh, my God, yeah. And, and you know, it's Kurzweil talks about the singularity, which is the, the point at which uh, we have developed artificial intelligence uh, so that it is indistinguishable from human intelligence. And at that point, 
we have no idea what progress will look like and what the world will look like after that kind of a, a hugely significant change in our technology. That's what all of these necromancers are trying to do. They're trying to bring about this singularity of change that transforms the world into something much more uh, conducive to, to human well-being. Uh, and then there are the, the mere hucksters who want to exploit you. So I think the question is not really, is Ray, Kurtz, is Ray Kurzweil a necromancer? He, he certainly is a sort of technomancer uh, in training maybe. Um, but the question is, will he keep it all to himself? Uh, will we allow the kinds of technologies that are being developed now to stay in the hands of an extremely tiny, privileged few people who are doing what they're doing because they have access to corporate charters and to government grants and on and on, uh, university you know, budgets and research facilities and uh, things patent like that. Patent rights. Do they hoard it all to themselves as a new class of technocratic monopolists or do uh, we make sure that all of humanity benefits from the technological gains being won? Anthony Comegna is the editor of the new volume Lives of the Necromancers by William Godwin, available at libertarianism.org. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>